Welcome to the Masculinity Podcast, conversations about masculinity, men, and our relationships with them. My name's Mel, and I invite you to pop the kettle on, make a mug of your hot beverage of choice, and join us for a relaxed and open conversation. So today I'm really excited to have two amazing gentlemen uh, here to talk with me on the Masculinity Podcast. Mehdi and Cosmo are two absolutely phenomenal men, and both of them are sexological body workers, and uh, all three of us live on Vancouver Island. Cosmo and his partner Caitlin are down in Victoria with their family. Uh, Mehdi is in uh, just north of Nanaimo with his wonderful partner Anita, and I'm up here in the Comox Valley, and uh, this is this is a really exciting conversation to be having with these two. Um, I met Mehdi, oh gosh, Mehdi, it must have been about five years ago that you came to one of my workshops, and, uh, yeah. and, uh, and then I discovered who you were and what you did, and um you ended up being an incredible support and, and someone who helped me get out of a rough space. So Mehdi is, is a, has a background as a trauma therapist and play therapist and uh, now uh, works doing sex education and somatic, uh, somatic sex education. Did I say that right? Yeah, somatic sex, sex education. Okay, cool. Some uh, people know it as sexological body work. Awesome. And then um, it was last year I met Cosmo and Cosmo, like I have to confess here, you had been on my radar for a while as someone who was like interesting and like that person's <laughs> doing something cool. They've got a bit of a bohemian approach to all this. And then we finally ran into each other at the uh, the Reimagining Masculinity Conference in Victoria. And I think it was like a, we looked at each other and I was like, are you Cosmo? And you're like, are you Mel? And it was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that was great. And then I think Mango actually is who told me about you for the first time. We were just talking about Melissa Mango, and I think that that's where I heard your name first. I really, I wanted to uh, get you two together, and you two work together. You're working on a retreat that you're putting on for men this coming spring. Yeah, the Apollo Project. Yeah. The Apollo Project. And uh, I just want to talk to you about men and their relationship to sex because i have a hell of a lot of questions <laughs> great ask away yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean we both i talk about that on the regular so um we're i'm open for anything how about you Maddie? oh yeah, yeah i'm fine that's fun <laughs> well is there anything else that you want to say about yourselves to 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 contextualize who you are and what you do you go ahead, Cosmo. Okay. Um, first, just saying that I uh, working with Medi and Medi is also a mentor and teacher of mine. Just wanting to put that out there that I'm really happy to be to be working with him as a colleague and also to you know to be doing things like this with him and, and have his mentorship uh, along the way. He's someone that inspired me on this journey of exploring my own healing of shame and various locks around sexuality. So uh, 
He's very important to me and happy to be here with him. Well, so long as we are in the mutual admiration uh, society, <laughs> I have to say, I have to say Cosmo has been an example of uh, a very essentially uh, aware and sensuous man, a great example for me. And uh, I, I aspire to that. Um, yeah, I, I really uh, hold him in high regard uh, as far as a, a, a good balance between a um, <clears throat> in a man of sensuality and and um, that idea of showing up and and doing and accomplishing in the world that doesn't have to be sort of the, the cliche manly man that we, we we have known for a couple of centuries now so uh, it's um, I'm really happy with, to be in this friendship with him. I love that. Thanks, Minnie. I feel a little warm and fuzzy hearing you guys talk about each other. <laughs> I, I like what you said about he's not a manly man that we've known for the last two centuries. I uh, I got into a conversation with someone the other day who'd listened to the first episode of the podcast and and got pissed off about it. And I'm like, great, I must be doing something right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we got into this whole conversation about the phrasing of toxic masculinity and how a mm. lot of the time when toxic masculinity, when that's described or defined, uh, people will list out qualities that, that you know, they have unhealthy expressions, but they could also have healthy expressions, you know, like assertiveness mm-hmm. and strength and anger. Like there are useful aspects to these qualities. Um they're not qualities that are inherently toxic. Um, and I, I was wondering if you two had a take on that at all. Well, I, th- I think uh, there are things that, okay, there, there's this thing called emotion, and we really have no choice in it as human beings. We have capacity for it, and we, we experience emotions, and we can't really control when it shows up or when it goes away. Um, but what has happened as a result of our uh, all the different forces in our societies, we have sort of learned to express the emotions or, or let them out or get rid of them in a certain way that has, you know, brought us here to the point that we say enough is enough. We don't, we have had enough of um, aggression or, or other, other um, like you said, toxic ways of, of uh, being together. So it is, it is not that, like you say, it's not that those things are toxic in themselves. I mean, anger is, an, is a natural emotion, just like sadness, just like fear. It can serve us in a very good way. It can give us information. It can protect us and so on. But we have learned to, to, to express it through aggression, violation, and, and bad communication and, and, and so on. So that's, um, I think, I mean, I hope we get, we get to, to, to talk about sort of how we can get out of this rut that we've been for a long time that you know it's it's not necessarily through pointing fingers and condemning this or that it's maybe it's you know about a sort of creating a a model of of a of a man uh, who um you know articulates and behaves in a certain way and, and it's more desirable so that we can aspire to rather than a model that we have to avoid mm-hmm. well and, and when you when you talk about like these these emotions you know, we, when we don't give them healthy expression, uh, the first place that my mind went to is that the sexual violence mm. uh, that <laughs> happens a lot. And 
that that's been coming more and more into public awareness is more conversation about that. What do we do with that? Mm-hmm. There was a, um, a post that Caitlin shared. I don't know if maybe it was a reshare from you, Mel, but uh, I really, really loved the phrasing. And um, it, it said, instead of toxic masculinity, it said wounded masculinity. And that really, really, really hit home for me in regards to talking again along the same lines as Medi's talking is not being punitive. Obviously there are cases where, you know, that's, that's necessary, but where we're really looking at our whole culture as a whole, not just men mm-hmm. in this challenge, but the, the, the unhealthy or wounded masculinity that exists in men, women, and, and otherwise um, expressing themselves and that these potential that these traits and these qualities that may even have been very uh, highly regarded or um, called called upon uh, in the past are being less and less needed or maybe they're just needing some sort of evolution some shift mm. and so you know what I feel is that it's finding a way to heal these wounds of not really knowing how to express these emotions that Maddie's talking about, that we're, you know, we're raised in various different backgrounds and cultures and, uh, and they show up in different ways that, um, you know, when you're expressing an emotion from a wounded place, then you also have the potential to wound others in the expression of that. And so, yeah, lots of conversations right now around how to <laughs> support those doing the wounding and acknowledging them them as wounded also. Yeah, and then something you said, uh, Mel, about the, sort of the sexual uh, feelings and expression of that sexual desires and so on. Because I think over the past, at least over the past 300 years, there's been uh, a, a more of a concerted effort to to look at sexuality as something that is it, it is not it's 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 not it's not okay it it is something odd or or uh, secret or shameful or dirty or debased uh, sinful uh, all those things and we have looked at it over the past 300 years with different lenses we have categorized it we have labeled it we have pathologized it in all kinds of different ways. So, I mean, it is, it is, a, it is not something that we can talk about. It's a natural desire. Yeah. It's an absolute necessity in our lives. So what, what, what happens when you try to repress something that is natural? It, it is just like hunger. And if you say, no, hunger is not okay. You cannot be hungry then that 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 sense of hunger is going to show up in a way that is not okay it's hurtful mm-hmm. and um and when it when it happens we, we still we can't talk about it even when violations happen when inappropriate conduct as they say these days happens we still can't talk about how and why and the roots of it and and the purpose of it and and the desire behind it and so on we not, none none of it is is really allowed so we've not we haven't been able to to find a solution through conversation because the conversation itself is not allowed we're just pointing fingers and say oh he did this and he did that and therefore they're banned they're, they 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 should be banished 
I, I like what you're where you're going there. I like I think about it feels like there's so much repression of the human experience. And I think this happens for women. I think this happens for men. And it absolutely happens for people who are trans and intersex. And, and sexuality seems to be the most vulnerable place in ourselves because in, in that sexual expression, we, we become so much more vulnerable. And what I've experienced is that once someone enters into that space, it, it's like the, it's like a domino effect. Like all the vulnerability comes out or at least like it becomes this access point for all the unexpressed things to find expression whether that's in a healthy, constructive way or in a deconstructive or destructive way. Mm. I mean, my, my, one of my first sexual experiences when I was in high school and for context, like I went to high school in the Middle East. I was living in a country where there was a hell of a lot of repression going on around sexuality. And I remember having a sexual experience with a guy who was in my, my grade and uh, it was a camping trip. We're in, you know, in the desert in Jordan. It's absolutely amazing. But I remember he cried while we were being intimate and starting to get sexy together. And I couldn't understand. Like, this did not compute with what I had been raised to believe about men. That men didn't have emotions as much as women did. That men were more stoic and always in control, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then he was so ashamed of the fact that he was crying. He just shut down. And when we got back from this camping trip, he just wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't acknowledge me. And um, and I've, you know, still to this day, that that experience runs around in my brain. And I'm like, what? happens there he, he probably revealed a part of himself that se sex made it possible for him to do that and then but because there was no support out there in the culture he had to pack it again and and uh and put it away and and, and be ashamed of it right i think i mean what you said about sex how it sort of makes us vulnerable yeah it is true at the same time we are looking for our i think it it, it connects us for with our true power mm. and that's what we need to do over and over and that's what how we get stuck when we are not allowed we don't have a way of um, knowing what it is that we are aiming for and sort of becoming sort of conscious and intentional about it when we don't we are not allowed to do that then it becomes um, a sort of a superficial power struggle that i want to stay in, in in sort of that my manly my persona that sort of that the society has uh, taught me and has supported uh, all my life i want to stay in that and i don't want i don't want to uh, veer away from that so it's, so i i through sex i find my sort of a unnatural um synthetic power and i'm going to overpower you and i'm going to um be aggressive and not listening and not attending and and and, and so on so it's it has become so twisted over the over the this the centuries that we are i mean no no wonder why how we ended up here mm -hmm. today with people really not knowing that we have this natural desire and it comes out in all these twisted ways that ah it's so painful to watch and then what do we, what did we expect really to 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 have you know a society full of saintly men no we have <laughs> we have all been corrupted by that 
by that repression. I like that perspective that there there's a generational trauma running through that that male lineage where it's it's been getting progressively worse, but almost like in in a way that we haven't noticed it perhaps until now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, like it's not just through the male lineage. It's it's really it's permeated through the entire culture. I mean, if you really if you really dig deep into family dynamics, both mother and father perpetuate this patriarchy that we're in for whatever, however it serves them. We don't like, obviously it's different within each family, but the perpetuation of these, these roles that both men and women and and other are either pushed into or pushed away from is done by the entire culture. Yeah. It's not just in the lineage of men or in the lineage of women. And so it's really something that all of us as a culture, again, like, you know, we're defining by conversations like this, where we're saying, well, what is happening? How, what conversations are we having with, with our children right now? Obviously talking amongst ourselves helps, but it's also like, what is, what is the next generation learning? How are you uh, walking in your everyday life that shows something different to the children that are in your life, Mm -hmm. whether they're yours or, or someone else's. And for myself, do my children see me cry? Do they see me dance? Do they see me do things that would otherwise maybe not seem manly? And then they can start forming their own opinions, which are embedded in their very cells of what everyone is allowed to do and how everyone is allowed to express themselves. And then there's less rigidity in these uh, these forms that we were kind of trained into or have rebelled against in various ways. Mm-hmm. I think, Mel, I've, I've mentioned this to you, that I really believe that patriarchy has come to control us as, as men and as all, all, all the members of society, really, through, our, through controlling our bodies, what mm-hmm. our bodies are allowed to do, uh, allowed to wear, how to move, uh, where to go, all of, all of those things. And, and, you know, these emotions, the, uh, I love what you said, Cosme, about, you know, sort of if we are able to, sh- to express, to show our emotions, if I if, if I'm able to dance and move in a way that my body really uh, desires to, then uh, not only am I setting uh, a, an example for others, for my children and so on, but I'm freeing freeing up my body, so I'm I'm not being controlled by the system, because once my body is controlled, then my emotions are controlled, my thoughts, my belief mm. system. Are controlled, so it's really our our my goal, and I think our, our goal in in this uh, the project that we have for men, the Apollo project, is really to bring ourselves, bring our, our uh, the, the men into a, a state where we can really get in touch with our bodies and and what is really a, a native to our bodies, what it is that that really authentically uh, rises up from our body. And in terms of emotion and desires, and if we can follow that through in an authentic way, in a way that is not pretending, is not really, is not trying to conform to some expectation out there, but really what is true to us, which what is what is what is true to me is is not is not going to be hurtful as 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 what we are talking about today in terms of toxic masculinity. It, it is something that would allow me to evolve and be there for myself and be, be there for others. Would actually encourage 
and, and cultivate more em uh, empathy in me. If I were allowed to connect with my own desire with, to an ex express my desire in a healthy way, I would be able to be a better person, a better man, better example, better friend, better connection, better partner out there than I have been. So it's, it's really to, to what comes down uh, to for me is a, on, on a most foundational, most basic level, helping men to understand what is going on for them, what it is that they truly want. Mm. It is still a mystery. Mm. If you ask a man what, what, what he wants, he's, you know, it's, it's, he looks at you with sort of confused, like, what, what am I supposed to want? <laughs> no, nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I don't need anything. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's what you're learning to say. Like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just going to go over there. And... I don't need to ask for directions. I That's know which right. way to go. Yeah, I, I don't need anybody or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, self-sufficient. I'm, I'm, I'm tough, and I don't, I don't need you. It's, it's. We can't be seen needing anything. Therefore, we can't really desire anything. We can't say yes to anything. We have constantly. We have learned to say no. I don't need that. No, I'm fine. <laughs> so. Um, we are, we are, we are, our goal is to uh, help men to say yes to their true desires, to what they mm. really in their core want and need and desire. And interestingly enough, when we talk about, we bring this into the realm of sexuality, is that Mehdi was talking about when, you know, when our bodies can express, when our bodies can move and feel authentically that in my experience, it's a lot less likely that any outside force is able to control you when you're in tune with your own feelings and what compels you to move through the day, through your life. Mm -hmm. And so it really struck a chord when Mehdi was saying, well, you know, we think about religion, we think about community, we think about family, we think about, the, you know, these sort of institution structures and not necessarily like there's this one overseeing power that's trying to enforce all this, but somewhere in within all these institutions, there's this fear of embodiment. And the fear of embodiment, once you're connected to your body and you're feeling embodied, is simply that when you're moving yourself through the world by your own compulsion, your own desire, your own clarity of purpose... It's very difficult for an outside force to waver that. Whereas if you're looking outside of yourself constantly for reassurance and guidance from, not to say that we shouldn't be looking for guidance, but if you're looking for your who you are outside of yourself, then it's easy for an institution to go, okay, well, this is, this is who you are, who you should be, and this is how you should act. And, you know, in sexuality, when we really crack that open is in my experience working as a somatic sex educator and through my own learning curve is that once somebody is in touch with their desires erotically and they can vocalize what they want in a, in a sexual arena, either with their own bodies and their own pleasure with their own bodies or with a partner or multiple partners or whatever, uh, it's very easy then, or it's a lot easier to vocalize those things about other random daily life activities once you've expressed them in this very very vulnerable and tender and intimate space it becomes a practice that can be overflowing into the rest of your life and so that's what i've, I've witnessed you know time and time again when people unlock this sort of jewel this gem this magic of 
their own sexual empowerment. They're very difficult to control and they can make choices about what they want in the rest of their life a lot easier. And that makes it very difficult for the, for the sort of the governing systems mm-hmm. to accept because like you say, then we won't be controlled if, if we, if we can sort of just follow our own desire and our own creative force, our own life force and eroticism, then who's going to be able to control us? Mm. You guys are touching on something that I'm really excited to, to talk more about. Um, I have more than once had a male lover express to me that they have a fear of their own desires. I, I had one partner who described it as he felt like his desires were this gorilla that he had to keep chained up because if he let it loose, it was just going to like rampage. The beast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the beast. It's this beast. And, and I've, 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 you know, after he described that to me, I started to like lean in more to like hear from other male uh, lovers and friends in my life, how they're relating to their own desire. And I found that this happens so much for men. And especially in the way that the conversations have been going, I I see this like this kind of quandary where men uh, have these powerful desires that they've been told they're not allowed to have um, because, you know, their body is not allowed to be their, their body. They, they have, their identity is being given to them by society and they have to behave a certain way and move a certain way and sexuality is bad, but they have these desires. And then when they want to find expression for them, it can come out in this clumsy way. And then that could cause harm. And then that makes them a terrible person because they were unpracticed in how to express their desires. And then they bury themselves in this box of shame. And, and I'm like, this is not a healthy (laughs) state of things. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love men. I love it when men tell me what their desires are. I love it when men can be raw with their desires. And, you know, it may not be my thing, but that's okay. <laughs> and it breaks my heart when I see incredible men who are just on the, the precipice, just on that cusp of going, wow, I can be in my body. Wow, I'm in touch with what I'm actually feeling. And then they go, oh shit, I'm not allowed to feel this. I have to shut it down because this beast is not something I know how to control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we've been so um, ashamed and and frightened of it that uh, you're not going to go there. I mean, I grew up in in the Middle East and whether, you know, you come from a Muslim culture or Christian culture or whatever, is that sexuality and desire are always associated with, with shame, with dirty whatever it's just sinful um and so it's constantly driven into you that you are you're not to feel this and if you if you do feel it then it's the sort of your lower self that is feeling it and you must cleanse yourself and you must move out of this and and so on so it's it's yeah it is it is frightening when you, you you you're constantly looking at part of yourself that you've pushed into the shadows and because it's shameful and frightening and overwhelming and but it's, it keeps coming up because again it's that it's a natural natural desire natural force that that uh, inhabits you and, and you can't you can't get away from it mm. it's, it's huge i mean it's like I, I think of those you know political figures in, in the u.s that over the decades they 
they come out as strongly against gays or against this or that, and then they're found out themselves finding, you know, having these very repressed uh, desires that come out in very twisted ways, and they get, you know, found out and arrested and 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 so on and so forth. It's and we still haven't learned the lesson that you can't really condemn and and sort of get get rid of uh, the, these feelings because they're because they're natural and they're powerful, and that mm-hmm. you know that is something that needs consensual practice to learn and 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 that uh, that space isn't necessarily uh, carved out or given the attention that it really truly deserves in our culture which is and 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 starting early i mean my kids were just watching this like i don't even know if, how i feel about them watching it i had to like leave the room but i was like <laughs> curious to see their response to this show big mouth and that, that and it's like sort of like a sex education meets the simpsons meets like i don't know anyway they in the show the kids after they get to a certain age basically have this like hormone monster that follows them around and like tells them to do all sorts of things. Oh, and it's, it reminds me, of, it reminds me of the beast that you're talking about. And, and the truth is, is whether this beast shows up as um, something that, ex, you know, through repression shows up as violence, but um, you know, that's one form of it. The other is just a culture of very timid men, sexually, mm. a very uh, fearful and repressed and not even, expressing it at all and you know part of that is that you know when you go into this erotic space and you can feel this excitement in this beast uh, and this energy flowing through you and you have no idea what to do with it you know it could show up as you know whatever premature ejaculation for for example or, or as caitlin calls it rapid ejaculation so maybe a young person gets all excited and that happens and then they feel shame and they're like afraid of this this energy and, you know, without knowing that just by giving time, communication and practice to their body, they could learn how to manage and express this power that is living inside them and wanting to come out and even embodying this beast as a form of themselves that feels really like empowered and juicy. But without practice and without a space that you can first practice communicating how to even get into a, an erotic play and erotic dance with, with yourself or someone else, you know, we're, we don't have enough time or space that we're creating to learn how to be in this power that we, we have inside of us. Mm -hmm. I think the, that's super important. You know, the, the learning process is one where you have to be allowed to make mistakes Yes, and then go back and look at what, what mistakes did I make and what was going on for me and how can I do better next time? And, you know, I, I have concerns that the way that the, the culture we've been evolving, we don't allow kids to make mistakes anymore. You know, everything is forever preserved in social media and, there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, you know, someone who is 16 years old and got drunk and posted that on their Facebook, like that's going to stop them from getting a job later on in life. And yet that's, that's something that every teenager needs to have the freedom to experience is to make mistakes. And when we go into the realm of sexuality, like, heck, as a teenager, I, I did so many stupid things. I did things that were not cool. And I learned from my mistakes. And 
And yet we live in a society that still, like, I, there was a lot of stuff I was afraid to explore as a teenager. And that's someone who grew up, you know, being cultured as a woman. Um, and and I think about, to me, I've always thought that men have a lot more freedom to explore their sexuality because men are not going to be slut-shamed. But the more I tune into the the more the nuances of this, I start to realize, like, Maybe they have in some levels, but in other ways they haven't. And because there isn't that permission to make mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, or it's like in the culture that we're supposed to be out, you know, after a certain age, just like out fucking and we're supposed to be good at it. And we're supposed to, yeah, there's this other type of unbalance in how, you know, our, I can only speak for myself, but I guess within, you know, my male community, when I was starting to be sexually active at, uh, well, it was quite, quite early to be honest. I mean, I started the process around 11 and was finally like, you know, having intercourse at 15. And yeah, I mean, we, we were growing up in Victoria, still part of a fairly new age upbringing. So I I definitely would say that I, uh, I had some privilege there that wasn't afforded to others in regards to communication. And yet there was still this undertone that we were supposed to have yeah, kind of this like divide and conquer energy that was oppressive in itself that was really not supportive. I look back on, you know, I'm still very close with one of my first loves and she was describing to me some things that happened when we were 15 and I just buckled in tears just thinking if I had known what I know now, which I didn't. And and we're still very, very close and still have tons of love and um and yet there was, yeah, there was things that just totally, totally did not know and did not understand. And, you know, there was a, a situation where one of the, the men in our group had violated her consent in certain ways. And she had been, she had been the one that had been kind of ostracized from the group. And I did, had no idea that that's what ha- actually had taken place. And it took her until we were 40 years old to actually feel because this person is still close to me that she could come and say, you know what actually happened then? <laughs> I was just like, Oh my God, like I can't even. And yet it again inspires and informs how I move through my day now and what I talk to my kids about. And, and again, like you were saying, Mel, you know, we, we make mistakes and sometimes they're really difficult ones. And yet we have to find a way to, talk about them. Like Mehdi was saying that if it's not talked about, then what are we, how are we expected to to change anything? Thank you so much for sharing that. Because I think that some people will get trapped in that, that retroactive shame of stuff that happened in the past. And, and that regret can, can become like a prison that holds us back. Um, So thank you for sharing that. So, so um, honestly, and authentically. Something in what you said there really struck out to me, this this whole like supposed to know what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And and I think about how I I was definitely raised with a lot of messages of like the the man will know what to do. <laughs> and um I discovered in one of my early sexual relationships uh that that was not the case. Um <laughs> <laughs> And, and unfortunately, I've been repeatedly reminded of that in many, many sexual encounters that actually, everybody's body is different. <laughs> and a man may have learned what works with one uh, 
person's body, but not with another person's body. And uh, I mean, I, I have a, I have a whole bunch of stuff going on. I have um, desensitization in my pelvis. So whenever I'm going, going into a sexual situation, I tend to have to put on a little bit of an educator hat to be like, so here's what's going to work for me. And what I've noticed is that some men really don't like that the implication Mm. that I have to teach them something that they're not going to be able to figure it out by themselves or that they don't already inherently know, like the implication that they don't already inherently know how to pleasure me, uh, they are less manly or something like that. Like there's some kind of story attached to that idea. And it's challenging for me because I don't want someone I'm with to feel, I don't want them to feel shut down. I don't want them to feel small about themselves or their abilities. And, and I keep going back to this whole idea that, you know, they've been raised to believe that they're just supposed to know what to do. Mm. And even within that, like the word, I, I always get this word wrong. Is it demasculation or emasculation? I think it's emasculation. Emasculation. Yeah. So, and then even within, and I've talked to female friends about this as well around, um, first of all, let's just say to the men that are listening out there that if a woman uh, is clear enough and vocal enough and knows her body enough to teach you how to pleasure her, uh, just a proper thank you is in order because that's a difficult place. And I've talked to female friends that have said that it, it, because of exactly what you're describing, Mel, that they won't say anything because of the response. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in our work, when someone gives us a direction, instead of saying, sorry, like we were doing something wrong, we say, thank you. Mm. Thank you for guiding me. And so that's, that's something we can put out there into the community that when and this isn't just with women, but with, with all of our bodies. When, when someone describes to you how they want to be touched, see if you can find a thank you for guiding me somewhere in you. Because it's it really, truly is such a gift. And I mean, I'm a sex educator and I, I work with lots of people and lots of bodies. And the more bodies that I work, that I work with, uh, the more I realize that uh, I... <laughs> I don't know how to touch anyone until they show me hmm. and I, and this is my, my job. So that's such a beautiful learning to be like every single body that I approach is completely unique, like a very special snowflake that there's a subtlety that we need to, I call it the nectar. It's like breathing in someone's particular nectar and being open to learning at a very slow pace, what works for them. Hmm. And so, yeah, just hearing, hearing that, that sometimes it can be a bit clunky, you know, we don't have to play out these roles where we see in the movies where you're just like, oh, and the throes of passion and everything is perfect. And, oh, and then she comes and then he comes and then fireworks. And, you know, they both knew exactly how to touch each other. and Oh, how special that is. So what you're saying is that it's, the goal is not to make it look like a really good porn movie. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if it happens, great. There's nothing wrong with that too. Um, And occasionally that chemistry is just, you know, you just do know. But that's not always the case, you know, and probably anyone that is brave enough to say it out loud mostly isn't the case. Mm. In know, Cosmo, I mean, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think it's uh, coming to that point of being grateful yeah. for being guided is really, really hard for a, a lot of us, a lot of men, 
and and everyone. I mean, I've for years I I taught art to people who you know to adults who had not drawn a line sort of for. 30, 40 years. And, and then for uh, two decades, uh, I've been working as a psychotherapist and people coming in and sort of asking for help in some area in their life. And I found sort of commonplace in both those areas that people already feel ashamed that they are not as good as they're supposed mm. to be. Mm. I mean, if you are taking a course in anything, why would you take the, the, the course? I mean, the, the, the implication is that you don't know, you want to learn. But People already, most people already carry that shame of not knowing already. Mm-hmm. And I think as men, we, we have that same thing about relationship and about sex. We are, we are given this thing, that we, this belief that we carry that we are supposed to know already. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, we don't want to be reminded that we don't know. <laughs> and it's very hard to, to, to overcome that feeling. There's also a lot of um, comparison and like, how do I measure up? that I see Mm -hmm. men go through like and and it's interesting for me being someone who's polyamorous and I'll I'll have multiple partners at any one time most of the time um that they sometimes not so much but they (laughs) one of the interesting things that I notice is how the men respond to the idea that I have other men in my life and you know some are will sort of lean into the edge of curiosity to be, to be like, so how is the sex? Tell me more. And I'll cautiously tell them more and, and, you know, share what details I can. But seeing how they respond, you know, if I mention anything about size or anything about, you know, how the sex feels. And I see how much there is about a man's identity as a sexual being. It seems to be very tied into his penis. And I'm like, my identity as a sexual woman is not tied into the, you know, the size of, of my, you know, my, my vaginal opening, right? Like this is not, (laughs) this is not the same for women, but I see men do a lot of comparison about their, their penises. (laughs) Well, I I think it's, it's, (laughs) that's, that's a very interesting point because I think our identities as people are tied in to our genitals more than we are willing to admit, you know, and, and so that repression or the oppression that happens has been happening for many centuries of our genuine desires and our sexuality and our, uh, our the erotic force mm-hmm. that has impacted our sense of ourselves. So in a true sense, I, I'd say, yeah, our identities are, t- are as men, our identity is tied in. To, to our to our genitals mm-hmm. and I, I believe that for, to, for to be true for everybody but but it has come to sort of a, to be in a very superficial sort of competitive comparative kind of thing oh mine is bigger than yours or you know it, but, but that's not where it's where it's at it's about how I have been hurt or I have been allowed I have been encouraged I have been touched mm-hmm. in that area that that sort of gives me a sense of myself in the world. Mm. If I have been shamed in that part, I feel shame all over. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have shame of, of my body. I have, sh- I have shame of, you know, of a- a- any any aspect of myself that shows up in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, But if, if I have been held in with reverence, with affection, with love, then, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I matter. I'm special. I, I, I have a right to be here. So I think they're, they are connected. Uh, as, as much as, you know, we, we'd like to make fun of oh, how, how, how men are so... <laughs> tied into their 
Thank you for that. Penises are beautiful. I have seen a lot of I've seen a lot of them in my time and they they're all unique and different and amazing. <laughs> and what I, I keep finding myself telling male partners is it's the magician, not the wand. Once we find the, the, the magician in ourselves, and that's that's the thing. You see, the, this com, uh, the competitiveness that comes in that you're talking about, that we're all talking about, is something that we want to overcome. That sort of our, everything that we do, especially in, this, in, a, in a focused, concentrated way, in a, this Apollo project, we really want to bring men to look at what they want what each of them wants not what they're supposed to want mm -hmm. how how special they feel not not how you know somebody else thinks that they're they're special it's that we find ourselves in our own bodies free from separate from in, in, independent mm -hmm. from those so-called norms that are given to us so how do you do that? Because what you're talking about there, Mehdi, uh, you mm -hmm. know, getting clear on what you want, not what other people have told you that you want. I mean, that's that's some deep levels of deprogramming. I mean, both of you, both of you have grown up in in diff very different environments, but you mm -hmm. know, both of you talked about being parents and being conscious of of what your children are having role modeled to them. But you also were role modeled something uh, from your from your fathers and father figures and, and elders. And you've managed to undo the unhelpful parts of that programming to get to where you are today. But how do you how do you guide other men on this journey? Like this is this is a lot of work. Yeah, I think a big yeah, it is. It is it's just a start. I think it's uh, a lot of it has to do with slowing down. It's about having the conversation. It's about creating a safe container where men feel that they are allowed to be vulnerable, and it's okay if they're not better than the person you know that, next to them. It's it's not. It's it's sort of we take away the competition. To sort of we create a a structure where men are free to just dive in and drop into themselves and with. Um, both the uh, sort of a, a specialized type of body work with conversation with special activities so they can they can connect in mm. a in a slow way in in, uh, in, a, in a sort of shameless way so that they can slowly make contact with that um, little voice inside of them and says yeah I, this is what I want so you're creating a container that feels very safe and very held mm -hmm. where there, there isn't going to be any shaming mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of who they are or what they desire. Yeah. And that, that's, that comes through with, through uh, conversations, through activities where they, 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 they will feel that there is no, there is no condemning of who they are. There is no shaming of it. it it's just, mm -hmm. this, this is, this is, this is who we are. This is how we are. And each one of us is different and each one of us has, carries a different kind of shame about different, different things. So it's okay. Mm -hmm. So we, mm -hmm. we first, we have to start with that and then, and then connect with what is underneath that. And, and it begins with, you know, Mehdi and I have talked uh, a lot about our relationship and modeling at this at this retreat and the work that we've done prior to the retreat uh acknowledging that challenges that that we personally face <laughs> with each other working on a project or getting to know each other or working with different power dynamics um are as important as the planning process <laughs> and that if if we if we together as as 
well, working together as colleagues and yet also acknowledging Mehdi as a mentor and teacher and elder of mine and yet um, equality within the project. But then, you know, so we're like balancing all of this stuff and really working on it as, you know, a tender, important piece of how we show up for other men and that what we're doing there together, facilitating and co-facilitating together is going to be, I mean, from, from my perspective is going to be some of the best teaching that we can offer. So, you know, in real time modeling is how I find this type, this new energy best expressed. So just to give you an example, I teach cooking classes as well. And so I had a young chef come to shadow me in, uh, in my cooking classes. And so the people that, that run the company that I teach for, uh, they'll send young chefs to me to learn the process, the way that I teach so that, you know, they can kind of have that as a foundation. And so it'd be very easy. Um, you know, he shows up and he's talking really quickly and he's kind of nervous and, Uh, And I'm the one that's like, you know, in the dominant position and he's, and especially within the kitchen, there's, there's quite a lot of stuff that I had to overcome as a chef to not have this kind of oppressive energy in the kitchen as well. But he shows up and he's like, okay, yes, chef. And, and then he asked me about how I'm doing. And I had this one little window before we got started where I could have either said, I'm good. And then told him what to do. But instead I said, well, Yesterday, I had a really super emotional day, and I'm really glad that I had the entire day to just be with that emotion and process it so I could show up really powerful today. And he looked at me and was like, This is not a scene from Hell's Kitchen. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, like, it just completely flipped him. Like, huh. You know, and, and he just was like, Okay. And in that moment, there is a certain shift in his ability to be able to show up uh, in a different version of himself. And, and that to me is, is what I consider my most powerful tool in working with myself continuously and why I really, truly love and honor this work. Because I remember that some days when I was 24 and I had opened my first restaurant and I had a, a young family and... I would go in, I would be on my way to the restaurant and there'd be like 14, 15 people waiting for me to walk in the door to ask me questions and tell them what to do. And all of this, you know, this sort of like stuff I had to hold. And I, I would, I would walk there because I had to prepare myself emotionally to be in this sort of Mm. alpha role that comes naturally, but also takes some tenderness in the rest of my life to be able to manage. And I would like walk and sometimes just like cry And then get a block or two away and like wipe my eyes and shake and breathe and then be like ground into the earth and then go Mm. and work. And I realize now in in hindsight that actually I could have probably afforded to bring some more vulnerability into my workplace than I was doing. And now when I go uh, and I, and I, do sessions with people or I do workshops or we're doing various things, I realize that actually my greatest, greatest thing that I can bring when I'm working with other people is that vulnerability is that nobody necessarily needs for me to be like super on my game. And actually in some ways 
being super on my game means coming with an open heart and vulnerability and and my power you know and those things can exist they can coexist vulnerability and power can coexist and so that i like to every day wake up and, and try to model wow cosmo i didn't i didn't thank you for that story i didn't know that about you about what you just said about when you were 24 i mean i can feel the intensity of that the dynamics that you were mm -hmm. dealing with and to having to find your way through it all to to show up well put together and in charge at the same time feeling all these intense feelings of having to be in charge having to tell people what to do having to yeah to be being controlled that is really I, I i mean i have a million questions about how did you, how you found your your way uh through all that yeah but that's yeah that's that's really really powerful thank you mm -hmm. thanks Mary. yeah what Mary said that was such a beautiful share cosmo and that firsthand experience of how you you know your your discovery of the your authentic power, your true authentic power comes through your vulnerability and your ability to be in your heart. That's really, really beautiful. And Mehdi, Mehdi and I were breaking down our really core goal for the Apollo project. And it, you know, he said it, he said, this is about heart opening. So we're, mm. this, is, this, this is what we're doing. And so every single thing that we talk about for the project, all the plans, all the curriculum, all, all our goals are put through the filter of, is this going to open or close? Hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that the work has to be like really easy and fluffy and bubbly and, and that can be there and fun too, but is this going to encourage folks to stretch their hearts a little bit, to open a bit more hmm. and then take what they they gather, they learn, they share, and bring that. That's why we call it a project rather than just like a single event. It's because then they bring that back as like seeds of that and plant it wherever, you know, they live. So we have men coming from South Africa and from California and New York and Colorado and here on the island. And when they leave, that the project continues. That this isn't mm -hmm. just a one, a singular isolated event, but it's like, a transformation that is possible for each of us always. Yeah, and I want to connect that, what you said, Cosmo, about the heart opening to what we started with, this uh, sort of the toxic masculinity and, the, you know, the eternal question of what are we going to do about it? Mm. That is, you know, if, if we want men to be vulnerable, to feel their own vulnerability, to sort of drop into their heart space, they have to feel safe. They have to know that if they go there, they're not going to be, you know, kicked while they're down. And and mm -hmm. how are we going to do that if we uh, constantly point fingers and say, "Hey, you see, that's you did wrong again. You you made a mistake again. You see, that's not that's not going to work." Instead of, I mean, I love what you once said, uh, Mel, uh, in a, another interaction. You said instead of calling out, calling them in, huh? It, because mm -hmm. shaming is not it doesn't work mm -hmm. i mean we have that, that's 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 how we ended up here anyways with the constant shaming we have to find another way we have, we have to show men that they they can be safe in their heart 
I think this framing that you guys have here of does this action help people to open up their hearts? Does this action help men to open up their hearts? That's such a beautiful framing that anybody can put into place, that anybody can play with in their lives. Because, you know, I'm as soon as you said that, Cosmo, I was like, oh, my God, I can totally do that with the men in my life, with my friends, with my lovers, even with men mm. I, I meet who are completely new to me. And and I think about that something that the men that I know could start doing themselves is start looking at, is this going to help me to open up my heart or is this going to leave me feeling more shut down in my heart? Yeah, it's a really just profound way to frame things. Thank you. Juicy. Mm -hmm. Did you have questions for us now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's start with the questions. I I kind of asked them as we went. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was just warming up. (laughs) Hmm. You guys are great. I'm I'm so so pleased that there are men who are engaging in this work. Uh, like I think that the the stereotype is that you know the men who engage in teaching men how to be men, historically speaking, in the you know more recent ish kind of history, have not necessarily been coming from that heart centered space. You know, I look at like the pickup artistry stuff and and all that realm of things. And that's a space that um, still comes from that perspective of there's going to be a winner and a loser. Like I, there's a, there's a shortage of, of a certain commodity and I need to take it, hoard it for myself. And it is so refreshing to have encountered men who are working with men from the perspective of how do we all win? How do we all become more empowered and more embodied and more joyful. Like regardless of, of what your genitals are, regardless of what your gender is, how do we all get, get to a better place with this? And, and it's just so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Both of you. Yeah. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Mel. The Masculinity Podcast is made possible by the support of people like you. Please visit my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash masculinity, M-A-S-C-U-L-I-N-I-T-E-A. Your support means the world to me. And all people who support this podcast get to join our exclusive Facebook group where the conversation continues. Join us next time for more conversations about men, masculinity, and our relationships to them. In the meantime, if you have ideas, questions, or things you'd like me to talk about, give me a shout. Melina at RadicalRelationshipCoaching.ca